Welcome to Killer Women with your host, best-selling author, Danielle Girard. And now, Danielle's next killer woman. Hello, and welcome to Killer Women Podcast, a proud member of the Authors on the Air Global Network with more than 4 million listeners. I am your host, suspense author, Danielle Girard, and my guest today is Julia Heberlin. Julia is the international best-selling author of six thrillers, including Night Will Find You, We Are All the Same in the Dark, Paper Ghosts, and Black-Eyed Susans. Her books have sold in more than 20 countries. We Are All the Same in the Dark won the 2020 Writers League of Texas Award for Fiction, and Paper Ghost was a finalist for Best Hardcover Novel at the International Thriller Awards. Before writing novels, Heberlin was a journalist for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, the Dallas Morning News, and the Detroit News, which fed her interest in true crime and the forgotten stories of victims, a theme she carries into her fiction. She currently lives in the Dallas-Fort Worth area with her family, where she's working on her next psychological thriller. Welcome, Julie. It's so good to have you. Oh, it's so good to be here. Thanks for that great introduction. You're a pretty talented and prolific author yourself. <sighs> well, thank you for that. I um, I discovered you with We Are All the Same in the Dark, which I adored. And so I was so, so excited um, and honored to get a copy of Night Will Find You and then to have this chance to talk to you. So um, before we delve into all sorts of interesting things, can you tell our listeners about Night Will Find You? Night Will Find You is about a brilliant young astrophysicist and reluctant psychic who gets pulled into the case of a missing girl in Fort Worth by one of her best friends. Um, and, you know, chaos ensues. She becomes a target of a conspiracy theorist podcaster, among other things. But with my books, I always like there to be another layer of research. And that comes from my, I guess, journalist background. And so in this case, it was astrophysics, but also this um, idea of um, the space between the truth and the unknown. So that kind of rounds it up by, you know, investigated conspiracy theories and psychic phenomenon and all that kind of stuff. And it's so interesting. And I love the fact that the, that she lives between the sort of, the sort of most intensely scientific world, right? And then this world that is largely oftentimes at odds with science, with the sort of, this, you know, the psychic, the supernatural, the, these phenomenon. And I, I love that because it's such an inherent conflict in her character. So um, I want to talk a little bit about the research because, I mean, th there's some pretty wonderful research done in this book. And obviously you're, you must be an, a really talented researcher because I don't know how you put it all together. But first, can you, do you remember the seed, the inspiration for the story, where, where it came from? Well, oddly enough, a friend of mine who's a journalist, um, she, she'd like a shout out, Sherry Jacobson. She told me that I needed to um, put a crazy um, podcaster uh, into my next novel and that it should, you know, this person should resemble Alex Jones. So she, she just shot tons of articles at me, did a lot of my research for me about Alex Jones and would not give up on this idea. But then I realized I don't really want, I didn't really want to write in the voice of a character like that. I like my characters to be warm and likable and women. And yeah. uh, so, 
So basically, Alex Jones led me to the conspiracy theories, to the psychic phenomenon, to the unknown, to creating Vivi, um, who I wanted to be this, as you said, very complex character, sort of half uh, Scalder, half Mully, if I can make a yes, yeah, Scully and Mulder, Scully and Mulder, Scully half of Mulder. each. If you you know, if you get the X Files reference, you probably mm -hmm. do. I don't know if everybody will. Um, so, so that's what occurred, and she led the way. I love that. Well, and it is. I mean, I appreciate what you're saying about not having, and the podcast is like another layer. It isn't, you know, the story. You do this incredible thing where you've just layered on all these aspects of story here and the podcast is a is a big part of the story but there's so it's not really it's not the meat of it either I mean it's you have so many things that contribute to the sort of the beauty of this book which I love so the research I, I, you know are you an astrophysicist I just maybe should ask that oh, right oh, now. absolutely not please do not <laughs> ask me any questions on that topic um, <laughs> but I knew enough to write the book and in the past um with Black-Eyed Susans, I used a, a, a mitochondrial DNA expert who worked at 9-11. Um, with We Are All the Same in the Dark, I interviewed an ocularist and young girls who had lost their eyes, so I'd have a good idea of what that was like. And in this book, I was lucky enough that uh, my consultant was in my family. So I have a cousin who's a rocket scientist, and we used to walk the beach and do treasure hunts and you know, he mostly, you know, we would occasionally muse about God and things like that. But during this book, I, I emailed him and then he offered up another astrophysicist uh, friend of his, Tom Ricketson, and they would just answer all my emails with beautiful detail. And Vivi would not exist without their beautiful minds helping me, not just about the science, but about, you know, philosophy, their own mm. belief in God, which you know, to be stereotypical, I was a little surprised about, but my cousin being scientist, this is what you think, right? right. And my cousin just said, you know, every day I ask myself, how did God make this thing? You know, that is the question he asked himself, which I thought was kind of beautiful. So, you know, they gave me their ideas of heaven. They talked about Elon Musk, who they both worked with. Right. Um, it was just a wonderful experience. And in some ways, the best part of it was me really getting to know my cousin who is equally yeah. introverted as I am, but in emails, we share all. <laughs> I love that. Well, and I do think that that is, I love that you, there's a stereotype here that we do have in our heads that if you are a firm believer in science, it's really hard to to find a comfortable union with religion. And the idea that the people do both, of course we do, because we're all, you know, we're all sort of contradictions um, a million contradictions in one body. I love that, that that you learned that and that, that you shared that in the book. And um, it does make Vivi very, very, you know, layered and nuanced. And she is very likable. And she's a very strong woman, which, you know, obviously that's, that is why we're here. We're ta talking about women. So, um, I, you know, in, in your last book, We Are All the Same in the Dark, um, the story also deals sort of with, with, you know, people who are deeply damaged by their past, um, some, you know, of their own doing and some sort of just because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, can you talk about what about that resonates for you? And sort of, is that something that shows up in your other books? Yeah, I would definitely say that's part of the DNA of my books. Um, I want to give a voice to the victims and for the victims to not be victims, but the heroes of their own story. So I think that's 
kind of true across the board in my books and Black Eyed Susans. She was uh, a young woman, 16, when she was found in a, a pile of bones, you know, the survivor of a serial killer. In Paper Ghosts, you have a woman who uh, takes to the road with a, a serial killer who's an old man, possibly demented, um, to find out if he killed her sister. Um, and, and we are all the same in the dark. The, those characters, those women are all missing a physical piece of themselves and gave me this just crazy, beautiful idea of what beauty really is. Um, and so, and, and the same in the case of this book, she's very conflicted about, you know, her passion for science and this, these girls who haunt her. Um, and yet the two things are, you know, battling with any, within her all the time. And yet they're also, they kind of melt like butter together as well. I mean, science is magic. I mean, you know, look at a cell phone, you can call your grandmother from the beach or text her from the beach in Italy or, you know, whatever. How could we imagine that? Yeah. And science could not exist without this, you know, meeting of imagination and this desire to seek the unknown. And so how far that goes and the people we think are a little crazy for what they believe, that is because I think we all believe in something we can't prove that other people might think mm, wishful thinking, a little crazy, that was just a coincidence. But in reality, we believe we, you know, you know, saw our mother as a monarch butterfly right. or you know, whatever it might be. Right. I love that. No, I, I think that is so powerful and so true. And I also think, isn't it, I mean, as even as authors, there is a little bit of, um, well, you can call it crazy or magic or, you know, some spiritual connection. I feel like that, that the, you know, people ask how you write a book and obviously, you know, one word at a time, but the way the sort of ideas synthesize and the character synthesize, it's almost impossible to take full credit for that, right? On your own. It feels Absolutely. like there is some sort of higher power that's at work. And the same, I think, can be said for whoever, you know, people that put together the cell phone or the, you know, a rocket ship or Elon Musk, there's a, there's crazy in, 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 in sort of genius or genius activities, right? It all feels, it's a fine line, I think. It is. You can't explain it. People ask how you write a book, right? And you say, I don't really know, but I sit down and it comes out. These things inside me, helpful, you know, spirits, who knows what it is, but it is absolutely magic. Yeah, it is absolutely when magic. When it works. When it works. I know, right. Very that's an important qualifier because when it doesn't work, it's pure torture. But that's probably part of the magic too, right? Um, right. you say you have this beautiful quote, um, which I I'm a I, I have a lot, of, I'd like to tab sort of my favorite um, spots in books. And so every once in a while I pull one out, but you have this, um, we're talking about, you know, Vivi's sister and, and her old friend, Mike. And um, I love, she said, she says, do we always have to sacrifice, regret one thing for another? What do you think? I kind of think we do. Um, you know, as, as sad as that may be, I mean, I look back on my life and think, well, if I'd done this, would I've been able to do this? And the answer is generally absolutely not. We, you know, we, we take these paths, we decide where we're going to go. I remember my mother used to be fascinated by Elizabeth Taylor and how her life was these deep dips and these high highs, deep dips, high highs. Yeah. And so if she had not had the deep dips, I don't think she could have had the hi, hi, she was just a risk taker and 
you know, very passionate about who she loved at the time. But I mean, I, I don't know if that exactly gets what you're getting at, but um, to me, it's, these are just choices that we make. Well, I think it's, you know, I mean, obviously there's, it's true for everyone, but it's particularly true, I think, for women, right? Because I don't know, my, when I was young, it was that, you know, the Agenante commercial where you could, or Ginate, where you could, you know, bring home the bacon fried up in a pan. So you could, the, the idea was a woman can do everything, not right. anything, but everything. Like you could right. be the mom and the breadwinner and the, you know, still make a meal and still look whatever. And that has become, we've sort of increasingly acknowledged that that is not possible, right? Right. And and that would be the case with me. I didn't have a second child, um, wasn't able to have a second child, but I think would this book stuff have happened, would I have written books without it because I have a hereditary heart condition? So there is just a limited amount of right. energy that I can put into something. Now, would I say, would I sacrifice the book for another child? Probably, but you know, it turned out pretty good. Yeah. Good uh, yes. Well, um, that's absolutely right. I think that's, and I think that is true. Something has to give and, and I'm glad you're protecting your heart. Um, and, and I'm glad you've written your books. Although I completely understand also, that's not an easy, um, that's not an easy choice here. So there's the, another the hard thing though, is kind of interesting. Wait, I don't want to interrupt you. No, <laughs> tell Please. Now, the the hard thing is kind of interesting in that a woman saved my life. I had a hereditary condition, um, was overdosed on some medication. My husband and I were out to dinner in Detroit, and we were not intending to go to dinner that night. We were going to go, you know, leaf peaking in Michigan. And um, we ended up in this restaurant seated by a table uh, with a nurse and her family they lived, I don't know, 150 miles away. They had come to Detroit to the theater and out to dinner. And um, I passed out there and she saved my life um, because I was overdosed on this medication. So I have to think there was something there. She wasn't necessarily supposed to be there or she wouldn't usually be there. And I was not supposed to be there. So how did this magic happen? Yeah. That is, yeah, that is exactly right. It does feel like you think about the number of, you know, things that could have happened to prevent that, the alignment of her and you in that same place. I mean, going right. back to the idea that how our parents met or our parents' parents, it just, there'd been one sort of slipped moment where the things didn't go quite that way, right? I think exactly. that is- You can apply it to lots of things. You can yeah. apply it to lots and lots of things. Well, let's talk about, you made an interesting comment that um, I want to sort of delve into. It wasn't, um, it was when we were sort of emailing back and forth about the book and you said, you know, you're, you do write these incredibly strong women and, and multifaceted and not, um, you know, I think universally, um, resonant. I mean, I, I feel like they're not, I mean, aside from the astrophysics, which obviously, um, you know, I, that doesn't exactly resonate for me, but the fact that she, that Vivi has this got all these sort of, you know, she's got real insecurities as well as being obviously super brilliant. You said that you never write, um, you never write violence against women on the page. So your books are, I mean, your books are, I mean, I'm going to say this as a compliment. Your books are dark. There's, there's real, you know, there's really deep vi violence and issues, but never on the page. So tell us about that because that's unusual 
in our genre, I think. Yeah, it's, um, I like it to be more understood. I kind of have that Alfred Hitchcock philosophy that you're more scared by what you don't see exactly and what is in your imagination. But I also just have a philosophy um, that we should not be writing graphic rape scenes and torture scenes um, with women in them. I, I find them to be, some of them to be just practically like snuff films. It makes me uncomfortable to read it. And it's become normalized, I think, in our genre. And, you know, I get especially irritated when I see best-selling men, you know, write these scenes um, for other men. And uh, I just think it just continues this, you know, whatever it is in our heads that is primal that direction. And um, I don't know, I, I just can't do it. And I can't read it on the page either. And I don't think people should do it. I mean, women have, have done this as well. I'm not just, you know, yeah. except men, but um, I, I do think it's just not right. Because in some way you think it, it perpetuates actual violence against women. If we sort of normalize it, then we, we, we're no longer sort of, there's no longer the real understanding of what kind of horrors actually happen in the world. Right. It, it's just more titillation than anything else. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't think that young men should be reading that. I mean, I read a story recently where, where uh, young men were more likely to choke young women they were sleeping with you know, from bars or whatever. And, and I wonder where does this come from? It comes from all of society, all of this mm -hmm. being seen on television. You know, why does a camera have to pan over a beautiful woman's naked body on an autopsy table? Yeah. You know, that is, that is there for reasons other than, you know, actually, you know, improving the story. Yes. The story along makes you horrified, but there are ways to make readers horrified without that. Right. And like I can you said, imagine I mean, being a mother who have, had lost a daughter and then have that just, you know, in her face all the time. Yeah, it's true that, I mean, that is the unthinkable, right? What happens um, to this, that is horrifying to hear that men. Yeah. There's a lot of things in the world that right now that are truly horrifying, Julia, don't you think? Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> and there always have been. I, I know. I found I that know. out even more, you know, researching this book, that conspiracy theories have existed forever, that it's not, not all part of our dysfunctional era. We just, you know, it's like a wildfire with social media. And yes. The 24-hour news cycle, all that stuff is so... Um, so, well, let's talk about Texas, because I think that's an interesting, you, you know, of course, I'm in Montana, which also gets a horrible rap. And, and we've just late, recently outlawed TikTok. We'll see how that works. But, um, <laughs> but there's a lot of things, obviously, in this state that I don't um, agree with. But I, I really appreciate the way you, you know, you, you sort of talk about Texas. I mean, in a way, there's, there's one sort of, you actually posted it on social media that was like a picture of a Hummer with like some liberal bumper stickers and also some other, and it was just like, you're like, this is my Texas. And I love that because I do think we, the, what we hear about Texas obviously um, is, is less positive, but there's a Texas out there to really, really love. And it sounds like you love it. I do love Texas. I kind of wear it as a second skin. I feel very similarly about, you know, as you do about some of the tragedies happening in our politics here. 
Um, but at the same time, it is a beautiful, diverse state of 29 million people who don't agree with everything and most of whom don't vote. That's the sad part of how we've arrived at this place. But um, I, I grew up here. It's just part of me. I feel yeah. like a little bit of my mission to defend it because it is certainly not, um, it's not the Texas I see from, you know, MSNBC commentators even, you know, it is, right. it is something much broader and more beautiful. And the people are, are that way too, many of them. And in a way it's the fourth most diverse state in, in the union. And yeah. um, there is, you know, a tolerance of some kind that I don't find in say, you know, necessarily Vermont or someplace else, which mm -hmm. is, you know, much more hyper-liberal. It's, it's just, it's interesting. You have to come here and live here to understand it maybe, but. Well, I mean, that, I think that, it, I mean, that, and there's obviously you have an incredible, you know, group of authors down there. You know, I know um, Meg Gardner's down there and, and Don Bentley and lots of incredible folks. Definitely so intense. yeah, yeah, there's a bunch. So I, I, unlike Montana, which is a million, uh, only like, a, you know, a million people ish, and um, yeah, no diversity whatsoever, at least not ethnic and racial diversity. Lots of, lots of obviously socioeconomic diversity. Um, but I love that. I, because I, I think I like to, I mean, I think I have a stereotype in my brain about Texans, right? The fed of course from, you do. <laughs> fed from them, MSNBC. Oh, you not? Yes. Right. And yet um, I think- And some really of it's fair. true, unfortunately. But just like, you know, it's, it's just like science and religion. It's not, either or it's you know it's either and if you know it's just a lot of there's just a lot of different aspects of it you can't just look at it one way which i really appreciate being reminded that whatever i've got planted in my head is probably only a part of the story right a very yes it's a part of the story there's a very hot literary scene here um, yeah incredible art institutions just so many languages spoken it's just right. not the picture that you see on television. Right, right, right. No, that makes, I think that is good. I like to hear that. And I will visit. I have, I have not been there uh, other than to fly through. Um, but I, it's definitely, like you said, it's a big state. So I had to get myself down there. Okay. There's another, there's a passenger. big bend, especially where Vivi, you know, has her yes. uh, mountain desert mountaintop uh, hideaway with telescopes looking at the yeah, sky. That place is magical. And that is not at all how I picture Texas, right? In my mind, it's just flat, the whole thing. So right. And there's, you know, there are, there are evergreens in East Texas and then the huge desert portion and then lots of flat also. But um, it's a very, and then, then, you know, the mountains of El Paso, it's just very, it's very diverse in every way. So yeah. Yeah, well, that it, that is exactly right, and I love I love that, and I love the way you do that with some humor, and I I appreciate that. Um, I think sometimes we learn things better when when it's it's delivered with a little bit of humor. So, and I try to slide my opinion in there as well. <laughs> well, you know, I think social commentary. I think that's fair too. I mean, isn't there's some I mean, that's the power of a story, right? Oftentimes, a story opens our eyes to things that we wouldn't otherwise see. It's sort of the idea that a man who reads lives a thousand lives and a man who doesn't read lives one. Because I think that's what we get. And that's why it's why I love to talk, you know, to women who are writing. I love to, I'm a huge, obviously a voracious reader. And I do think it opens up worlds I would ne otherwise never see. 
So, and you do a beautiful job with that on all counts, Julie. I mean, really fascinating. So I'm, I'm so grateful to you and your stories. It sounds like I got to get, I got something to catch up on, but um, I do want to talk about this beautiful passage. She's in that room and um, I'm going to get this wrong. Sharp is in the room lying on the floor. Right. And she says, He's lying. I actually use this as my quote of the week. I don't know if you caught that on Instagram. I, I do a quote. Of, I yes. do a quote of the week, and I love this. And I I need to share it again because I think it is so important to sort of recognize that from a very early point, women have a certain outlook about the world, and and we have to. You know, we're trained, um, you know, socially, especially. It sounds like now more men are strangling women. So I guess we have to even pay more. Well, attention. that's a broad, that was a, that was just an essay I read totally, about one totally. woman's experience, but you know, I mean, I found it interesting. It is that so that interesting. Her experience. Right. It makes you super not interested in ever dating. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. So she's, and Sharp is a character I love too. So it's not to say that you're like Mike and um, and Sharp, who are the you know sort of male police officers in the story, are also wonderfully and well drawn characters. So it's it's a lovely thing. It's you know I, I, we do folk I focus on the women and the and the characters and they are the protagonists in your stories, which I really love. But those men are beautifully drawn, you know, full of their own internal conflicts and and hard and soft and all the things too, which I think is you know it's sometimes hard not to want to sort of like. I mean, we get our bad, we get our podcast guy who, who seems, I'm sure he's multidimensional, but the side of him we see is sort of the unattractive conspiracy theory bully side. Um, mm -hmm. But those men are beautifully drawn. So I, and Sharp is particularly, you have to read the book to, to see why we like Sharp so much. So, but Sharp is lying on the floor and she says, this is, the book says, he's lying on the floor, face up grimacing to get a better view of his project. He must trust me or not think much of my chances against him. His Adam's apple, which looks permanently sunburned, is right there for me to jab with a nail. Does he know that almost every woman past 16 thinks like this without thinking? That when I walked in this pantry an hour and a half ago, I immediately considered that the WD-40 in the dog's cubbyhole could be used, could be as good as mace. That situational awareness is an itchy second skin. That if women like me acted on every defensive thought in our heads, there would be a lot fewer bad men left. And I love that because I think that is, I think it's something that I've started to sort of think about, you know, that at the we're really young when this starts to happen to us, right? When there's a sort of shift in the way that we are looked at. And it's usually before we're prepared to be that, to be that way in the world. It's we're pre, you know, pre pubescent or almost prepubescent and before we sort of have developed um, our minds fully to, to know we have to sort of be aware of certain situations. Yeah, and I think, you know, when we're born, you know, as we move through even childhood, you know, our brothers and fathers are seen as our protectors. We're not seen as the protectors of, of them necessarily. And then we send our daughters off to college with pepper spray and, you know, panic buttons that scream. And so uh, this is just this, as you said, it just, it's just from uh, the beginning, in my opinion. And, you know, I, I don't really know um, what the answer is to that, because, you know, a young girl in great shape, <clears throat> running on the dark, in the dark on a, on a, on a road, is simply not as in, in as much danger as a man who is maybe less physically fit, 
uh, running on that same road. So, you know, one little mistake. Yeah, she's um, in more danger. Right. Yeah, she's in danger. Right, exactly. Um, yeah, that is, I mean, that is true. And I don't know how to do it either. I have a 23 year old daughter and it's something I think about a lot. So it's, um, it is terrifying. It's a terrifying, and now with it, you know, there's just a million other reasons to be terrified. Um, so it's, it is, I think it's a very true aspect of us. I don't know what the answer is either. That's, we'll have to keep spreading the, you know, the awareness of it. Maybe that's the first step, right? This thing happens and it shouldn't happen. And, you know, how do we stop it? So, but I love, I love reading that because I think that's empowering to women to know it's not just you. It's right. not just you that feels this way. It is every woman, every woman feels this way at one point or another, cross the street, you know, or, or, you know, catch up with somebody on the street who looks safe because there's somebody else who doesn't, that kind of thing, walk into a, you know, into a store or whatever. So, um, and then we yeah. all have these experiences that are not positive with men. And, you know, one of my roommate in college was, was raped by someone she knew, you know, and that was just, you know, just a horrible thing for her, obviously to go through, but also traumatizing for me as well. He came to the door the next day and banged on the door and screamed, I did not rape you because she had told somebody that it happened. You know, this just, yeah. this, this confusion about, um, what is yes and what is no, it just seems mm -hmm. like it's going to exist forever. So. I think so too. I mean, that's the advice I gave to my son. I was like, you just never have sex with somebody the first time unless you're both stone cold sober. Because it's like, it just, if you really like her, there's time and you don't, because, you know, if she's not 100% in, you know, you guys want to both be like level-headed about it. I mean, I think that's true. Yeah, that's true. terrific it's, advice to us. Yeah. Son. It's, I mean, I, I think it has, you know, and it's for his protection, but it's also because he does have, the, he has the upper hand, you know, physically and, um, you know, you never want to, I mean, I imagine that would, if you actually did, if you were the kid who had sex with a girl and found out she didn't want it when you thought she did, I don't know. I mean, I'm assuming that happens occasionally, then that would be a horrible sure. thing to live with, right? That would be a horrible thing to live with. So not worth it. That's all I can say. Not worth it. Um, well, this is, I mean, Julia, this, this book is, is wonderful. I enjoyed it so, so much. And it that really, so I, Thank I, you. I was, you know, I was so in love with We're All the Same in the Dark. I thought, how can she possibly do it again? And she has. So, um, Julia, Hibberlin, I always think, how can I write another book? Don't you? Yeah. Yes. Every time I'm like, like, how I'm, can you write another good book? Who knows how it's going to turn out when you're finished? You don't even know. Right. Not until somebody else really tells you, right? I mean, it's just too close to it. Well, you know, I interviewed Sandra Brown and she was so wonderful. She said every time, I mean, you know, she's got what, like 90 something New York Times bestsellers. And she said, every time she starts a book, she look, she's like, I don't, I don't think I can do this. I don't. And I thought, well, if Sandra feels that way, then we're probably all, <laughs> we're all in good shape right. to feel that way. Right. Um, but tell us, Julie, what is next? What are you working on? Don't you hate that question? You're like, I just have a book out and you already want to know when my next book is out, but I do want to know, can you share a little? So this is the first time ever that I didn't know exactly what I wanted to write. So I had two ideas. So I started writing 10,000 words of one and 10,000 words of another. Wow. And I, I've I couldn't decide. So I just decided to go one way. Hopefully it's the right choice. But, um, again, female, uh, protagonist. She's an emergency room doctor like my son and his 
girlfriend are. So I have, again, family consultants helping me on this. Um, and she and four other very different strangers receive a letter that um, indicates they'll receive a lot of money if they meet together and work together to solve um, the case of a missing girl. They, that's, this is basically all they know when they meet. And they're very different people. One is a cashier. Um, one is a, a um, cop. One owns a bar. Um, and so the question is, why these people? Mm -hmm. Why are they pulled together? And what is their connection to this case they've never heard of? And of course, there are connections, which you will have to read about and I will have to think about <laughs> for, the, for the next six months. So yes. um, anyway, but right now, just trying to move through the promotion of, of this yes. book, which I know, I don't know how you feel about that, but the self-promotion is so difficult. Um, I, it, so it, you make it, it easy. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Well, this is, I, I would happily promote anybody's book, but my own, I'm so much more comfortable talking about <laughs> other people's stories. So I completely understand. I that saw well. your daughter interview you. She was great. Thank you. Yeah. She, yeah, that was really, you. that, oh, thanks. Well, that was really, really fun. She's a total sweetheart. So, um, yeah. And I was so, she was so tickled because she was, she was like, you know, when your kids are proud of you, it's such a like, it just feels oh, really, yeah, yeah. It's so moving. So, well, um, I have to believe this is going to be so well received. It's such a, a wonderful, wonderful story, Julie. And I, I, you haven't read uh, Julia Heberlin. You have to, because she is just incredible. And I'm so grateful to get a chance to talk to you about Night Will Find You and Livy. Um, and I can't wait to read the story about the four strangers because that also sounds. Whatever you write, Julie, I'm in. Thank you. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. My pleasure. Uh, this has been Killer Women with Julia Heberlin and Night Will Find You. Do not miss this one and we will see you next time. Bye.